Welcome to the Hyperfixated Persons Unit. I'm Claire, and I will look upon the face of God and sit on it. I'm Goldie, and I know my way around Northbridge by feeling the cobblestones through the holes in my boots. I'm Jezebel, and I'm going to solve this crime using this ragtag monthly group of people, no matter what. My original plan for this episode was to do literally 1984. Okay. Are, you, but, are you uh, going to bring this up now? <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> That wasn't 100% agreement on that. So instead we're doing a Discworld book, specifically Small Gods, which is one of my all-time favorite books and is also basically 1984 if it was a Discworld novel. All right, cool. So I was wondering about the literal in the 1984. Because it's literally 1984, yeah, Jez. the meme of yeah. like conservatives being like, oh my god, gender-neutral bathrooms, this is literally 1984. Oh, right. I if, you, if you'd read 1984, though, some things are literally 1984. <laughs> I just think... Like, once you actually read 1984, you just see 1984 everywhere. But it also makes... The claims of some things being 1984, super stupid, because it's like, no, that's not literally 1984. It's like, it's kind of like the people saying, oh, the Bible says you can't do this. Mm. And like, well, the Bible says a ton of shit that's stupid. Uh, um, there's a lot of stuff in 1984 that's like, okay, that's fine. That's normal. Well, it's like, I know this is not the topic of the episode at all, but I still want to talk about 1984, so I'll take a moment. Like, um, so uh, 1984, like, sometimes I'll see people behave in a certain way, and I'm just like... That's like a watered-down nice version. Nice Ola reference. No, it's like, yeah, well, it's like, hmm, that's straight off an example of double thing. Mm. I'm glad you're not running the country. But then you'll see... <laughs> but people, then Trump got elected. But then you'll see people saying, like, oh, vaccines in 1984. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, Anything can be 1984. If you believe in it. If uh, you believe... Like, like, like 1984, it's one of the worst dystopias ever, and like people comparing like almost any society except maybe like North Korea to 1984. Like you could say some things are on the road to 1984, mm. but to say it's literally 1984 is well. Tell me about Terry Pratchett. Yes, okay. So Terry Pratchett's 1984, aka Small Gods, is um yeah, it's my fav. This world is my favorite book series, and this is my favorite book from the series. Um, and it's also one of the standalone books in the setting, which means that, uh, it's one of the best to sort of read without having read any others. Yeah, like, like I've heard a lot about, uh, the Discworld series. Mm -hmm. Uh, I tried to watch the recent The Guard show and I didn't quite like it. It didn't hook me with the kind of... I've heard it's not a very faithful adaption at all. Cause you, it, like, it's, it's just the kind of modern fantasy. Mm -hmm. It's very rare that that hooks me, uh, but... I didn't, Which I didn't is like weird because Terry Pratchett, like Discworld, is very much not modern fantasy. Mm. Uh, but <laughs> if yeah, that's what it felt like, then that's a problem. Yeah, I've never, um, never read any of the books. Heard great things about it, so I'm keen mm. to finally get one. Yeah. yeah, The Guards is actually my favorite, like storyline of books. Mm -hmm. My favorite storyline is the Death ones. Yeah, that doesn't surprise. Oh, me. I have seen the Hogfather. Oh yeah, the Hogfather yeah. is uh, très magnifique. <laughs> It shocked me that you have not read a Discworld novel. <laughs> it's so... It feels like you should have. I've, yeah, I've just, It feels like a crime. I've stealthed my way through. It feels like you're a roof and there's like no walls supporting you. Like you needed to do that <laughs> to get where you are now, but you're there somehow. And like I've experienced a lot of like Douglas Adams stuff, which is adjacent. That's adjacent. Yeah. Um, Terry Pressure is more hard. Yeah, Douglas Adams is a bit more like... Cynical, for yeah. 
cynical wackiness for its own sake, Terry Pratchett's like, yeah, but also, mm. we are cool, though. <laughs> have you considered that themes exist? <laughs> And things have heart. Also, here's an orangutan. It's a librarian. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> right. um, yeah, so this this book is also set um, hundred about 100 years, I think it is, before the other books in the series. Are all the rest of the books pretty much all set in the same period? Yes. Uh, I mean, like, over the course of maybe, like, 10 years. Right, okay, so 100 years, like, because some book series like Dune, 100 years isn't very long. Um like, they'll set stuff over millennia. The other books are all set in, like, the lifetimes of the characters. Cool. Yeah, yeah. like, the, the same characters. It's at least 30 to 40 years of the absolute maximum um, between any other book. Mm-hmm. So we're not looking at a huge time skip, usually. Yeah. So, in terms of when they were written, was this the first one or, like, a middle one? Is this is the 13th, I think. I don't remember the exact number, but it was right. around okay, about so it's around about there. so it's not specifically a, meant to be a prequel or anything? Um... It kind of provides the backstory for one of the settings right. or the groups okay. in the se- in the thing. I guess that's the best way to put it. Yeah. So yes, it is a prequel. Yeah, in a way. Yeah, okay. yeah. It's, it's not. It doesn't feature. Oh well. It doesn't feature any of the major like set up the story for any it's of the not major characters. It's a prequel. It yeah. just references some stuff and set, sets a little bit of stuff. Up. Yeah, it's, it helps. It's a a setting piece, but no. Okay, that is a prequel. That is yeah. setting up things. So. It doesn't cool. set up any major plot points that I can recall. Well done. Easy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Discworld is my favorite book series, partially because it's uh, very funny and kooky, but also because it's um, very philosophical and a very um, times heartwarming. It's very humanist. It's a humanist series, I think, mm-hmm. is the way to put it. Yeah. Like the Hogfather definitely yeah. came across as all yeah. of that. And um, I think Small Gods is one of the books that best encapsulates them this fact yeah it's probably not a bad starting point if it Mm. doesn't require any previous reading i wouldn't say any of the other books require previous reading you can usually get Mm. by it's not like the malazan book of the fallen which you can't (laughs) yeah even start with so dense you can't start first book yeah Yeah. (laughs) Uh, it's Um, but like if you were say reading a a, a random book out of the guards and then you went back and read and you can't like, if you read it in a random order, it'd be a bit confusing because there is continuity yeah. between the books, even if they're not, like, super. Yeah, um, so, no Terry Pratchett, we know the, the gist. What's, what's Small Gods? So, it's kind of like 1984 beats, uh, meets a kooky, odd couple, buddy, comedy, road trip meets an Abrahamic religious fable. Okay. Yeah, it's a good time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Give me, give, me a brief, give me the blurb. Give me the plot summary. Uh, okay, so it's about... All right. So it's set in a um, in a set in, like, basically Discworld's equivalent of the Middle East, where they have a Spanish Inquisition meets, I don't know, the Taliban or something like that, but a more well-organized Taliban, mm-hmm. where they believe the, the Discworld is round. Right. And, um, Fools that they are. Yeah. And um, they torture anyone to death who disagrees. And they all worship their one god, Om. Because it's Discworld, the gods are all real. Mm-hmm. Because believing in something makes it so. But, in yeah. Um, yeah, in Discworld. Um, <laughs> yeah. as, opposed to, as opposed to in other bits of pieces. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, the main character is, based, is like uh, this... Um, he's one of... Oh, I think he's a monk or something like that. He's he's, he's part of the Brotherhood, um, but he's like the lowest um, ranking, and he's just sort of he's widely regarded as like sort of a simple-minded 
almost Forrest Gumpy character, I guess. He's not quite that dumb, but mm-hmm. yeah. Um, not the sharpest tool in the shed. Yeah. And uh, although he has a perfect memory. Did somebody once tell him the world was going to roll him? <laughs> the world does roll him. Okay, cool. Look. Well, did someone uh, tell him that? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, he's, he's, but he's a nice guy. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so, and then one day he meets God. God's as much of a dick as you might expect. Now, is this God, um, capital G, God? Because it says small gods, plural. Are there multiple gods in this? Uh, yes, but you, small gods is what you are before you're a god. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the book will go into it in great amount of depth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Depth. Um, depth. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, cool. Yeah. What do you like about this? Why do you like this? Well, it's... Um, it is uh, like every Discworld book. It's funny. The main reason I like it is it made me quite emotional. <laughs> it's a, it, especially at the end. It is. Um, I can't remember ever reading like the Bible or anything like that and feeling like how you, they say you're meant to feel when you're reading the Bible or whatever. Like that sort of feeling of profundity or whatever. But I do feel it when I read this book, which is like. It's own take. It's basically like what it is. It's it's basically a biblical story of like God and a prophet, mm-hmm. a God and a prophet. But it's like if Terry Pratchett had wrote it. That, that that's basically what it is. It's like God so and Moses or God Moses and sort of situation. yeah. Moses meets the burning bush and says like, "Yo, shit's about to go down. You're my prophet." Yeah. Um, so this dude, uh, the bumbling monk, meets uh, the the God of his people, and mm-hmm. they have an adventure and. Well, you have to see what happens. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right. So, what you're saying is you had a religious experience. Yes. Reading this book. Yes. All right. That sets the bar pretty high. <laughs> well, yeah. Maybe a human, a humanistic experience. A humanistic experience. Have you ever had a humanistic experience reading a book? I've had nothing but humanistic experiences. <laughs> reading a book, though. Is there any other kind? Ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah. You really stonewalled that tangent. Yeah. So. Like, I get that feeling a lot when reading Terry Pratchett, but in this book, most of all. Like, this mm-hmm. is the most Terry Pratchettist thing I've ever read, or at least in, in that respect, in yeah, that aspect a, like, of himself. Uh, where it has, like, the whole hope for humanity. Like, yeah. It's genuinely, yeah. like, at its core, good and nice and wonderful, because uh, we're capable of all of these lovely things. But also capable of... Torturing each other to death. Yeah. Don't forget that. <laughs> that that's definitely emphasized in the book. It's uh, yeah. uh, what was the bit in Hog? I keep saying Hog Rider, but uh, to be the place where the the falling god meets the rising ape. The the rising ape meets the falling angel. That's the one. Yeah, I, uh, I want to get that as a tattoo. <laughs> I want to rise as an ape. Rise up. I yeah. don't feel like I ever rise as an ape, to be honest. <laughs> Alright, so how are we reading this Dead Tree edition? Uh, Through comic, through audiobook, uh, through figurative dance? What medium will we uh, have this religious experience through? Well, I kept getting spammed on Facebook for ads for this new audiobook version. Mm -hmm. And because I'm susceptible to advertising, I want (laughs) to listen to that. I'm not immune to propaganda. (laughs) Um, And apparently it's uh, narrated by Bill Knightley and the guy that played Gollum, so... That might be interesting. Oh, Andy Serkis? Yeah. Wow. And, um, That's a good cast. Although I listened to a sample of it, and as I said, it's very obviously meant to be set in, like, the uh, disco equivalent of the Middle East. Mm-hmm. But they've given them, like, these strong British accents. And I'm like, what? what? That doesn't <laughs> surprise me at all. I've, I've seen Chernobyl. I'm fine with that. <laughs> it's yeah. true. 
Um, yeah, interesting about Chernobyl because they read about that choice and they didn't want the absurdity of British actors doing Russian accents <laughs> to distract from the severity of the piece. Mm. Which, so they're at least like, it's going to sound, sh- rather than just casting Russian people, which would have been the better idea, yeah. they went for the next best thing, which is like, let's at least just not pretend to be Russian people. <laughs> mm. Let's at least just be British people. Sorry, a little tangent there. No, yeah, yeah. Um, Chernobyl for my next topic. No, that, I do love that series. Have well, you all seen it? I've, yeah. Oh, I've damn it. Okay. Like, we can just talk about how much we like it. Okay. Um, <laughs> damn it. All right, we can't do that. <laughs> we can't just, I, I'd be happy to watch it again. We can't just watch something we've already seen. Gosh. <laughs> well, all of us. <laughs> it defies the point of the podcast. Yeah, we're branching out. Die. Um, to just talking into, about media with no mm. gimmick. Such as into... Uh, uh, exposing me as a as a pop culture fraud for never reading a Terry Pratchett until now. Okay. Uh, anything else you wanted to cover or talk about? Um, or no, I think just... we should get into it. That's dish into it. So doing the audiobook. Yeah, I mean, the you don't have audiobook? to do the audiobook. I th- you can read it if you prefer, but that's what right. I'm going to do. So we'll all do various types of book. Mm-hmm. Yep. We'll see, we'll see you soon. All right, I'm not stupid. You're saying that humans need fantasies to make life bearable. No. Humans need fantasy to be human. To be the place where the falling angel meets the rising ape. With tooth fairies, hogfathers. Yes. And here we're back. Yeah. All right, we're back. We've smalled the gods. We've honey, I shrunk the gods. <laughs> honey, I shrunk the gods. Nobody <laughs> actually shrunk the gods, I guess. By he deflated without belief. I yes, guess is the idea. Yes, yes. I, I would say that there's more. We see more inflation of gods. Yeah, oh, the gods mm-hmm. get small, then the gods get inflated. Yes. Yeah, and then so you got to put, you got to ride the stocks uh, yes. all yeah. the way down. <laughs> we're, we're we're shorting gods. We are. Uh, <laughs> And then we're gonna get we're at the beginning of a bust period, a boom period. Yeah. Just, we buy stocks yeah. in gods and they go up. It's great. That is pretty much the entire essence of this book. Absolutely. Yeah. Playing, playing the stock market of gods. Yeah, that's it. It's just... so, so, so we've we've done this recording like we started this recording like about two or three times because it was Bush Yanians. Um, but yeah, uh, Claire. Should we do the summary? Yeah. Okay, so basically what Terry Wait, Pratchett... Wait, so let's start with like the, our thoughts of the book sandwich. Okay, the book yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, so I was enjoying myself. Um, yeah, it was... I didn't quite get to the end, but it was good. Um, it's a Terry Pratchett book. I've read lots of those. It's fine. Um, and this one was... It's been ages since I read one of his books. And um, one of the things... I always struggle to find some of the heart in some... He has a lot of heart, but I always sometimes... Sometimes you can bury it a little bit in all of his, in how funny he is sometimes. Uh, and this one, he didn't do that. And I think it was to his benefit. That's why yeah. it's one of my favorites. Yeah. Well, it is my favorite. Yeah. Because yeah, his books always have heart and they always have meaning and they always have a point. But yeah, sometimes it just gets very much like left lost by the way, him. lost in how smart he is. Because mm-hmm. he is very smart. And I think sometimes he can, there's a little too many flourishes. He, he, sometimes it's useful for him just to kind of be like this. Kind just of, be a bit straight. Just a bit straight. And I think he was a little bit more of that, particularly near the end. Mm-hmm. And I think that really worked in his favor in this one. It's mm-hmm. definitely well paced in terms of like its acts and development. Another thing that 
some books, depending on the book, that Terry Pratchett can sometimes have a problem with is sometimes his characters don't particularly develop. Um, Rincewind's a prop, a big one for me because yeah. he's he's just a coward and he's a coward in every book. He like never that never really changes. Um, there are other books where they do, but in this one, it was nice to see some development occur. I have a soft spot for Rincewind since my first Discworld yes. novel was Color of Magic. But yeah, that that is true. That is kind of yeah. the point of Rincewind, Rincewind almost. Yeah. Mine was my first Terry Pratchett book was Interesting Times, I think, which I don't think was a good one. To oh start yeah, because on. that one's like. One of the Rincewind ones where yes. it references the old oh, one. Oh, yeah. the other one that yeah. happened, yeah. Um, so that was not the best uh, starting point. But yeah, this, that was my general thoughts and anything. What about you, Goldie? Uh, so this was, the besides the movie Hogfather, like I said in the intro, this is the first uh, Discworld book that I've read through. I didn't quite get to the end, but we have just gone through the, the finale and the cliff notes. Um, I don't have a... Fantastic time with this one, unfortunately. Uh, I agree with you about the Terry Pratchett and his flourishes, Mm -hmm. and I couldn't get past that. I was annoyed by it the longer it went on. There were several key moments in the book where um, I usually really like unreliable narrators, but I think I like them when it tells me something about the character that is being an unreliable narrator. In this book, it's third person as opposed to, like, it's not really brother. Uh, doing the narration, it's uh, the omniscient god of Terry Pratchett narrating the story uh, and showing all of these other people. I think I'm used more to first-person narrator voices. And because of that, that voice is being an unreliable narrator, and so it just doesn't tell me things occasionally. There were moments where Vorbos goes and assassinates two people. It doesn't say that he assassinated them. It says he went off somewhere, and then he came back, and he said there's not a guard uh, anymore. Another one is like... he he disappears and brother can't find him and then he later on brother walks over a corpse and then he opens up a door and then it's implied an army came in and took the city mm-hmm. and those felt like moments i wanted it to show something like if it was brother like trying to block out the memory of seeing something horrible sure but he's not narrating mm-hmm. um i think one of the issues with that because i noticed that happens as well there's this isn't necessarily a problem and I think it suits Terry Pratchett's a bit more fam- roughly family-friendly-ish aesthetic. He doesn't ever really get into the nitty-gritty of violence. Yeah. Mm. So when it comes to things like assassination attempts and things like army storming the city, he's like, and then an army stormed the city. And then he just kind of continues on because he isn't going to write about people getting stabbed and beaten and raped and all that kind of stuff. Because yeah. that's not really... What he writes about. He's not that kind of author. Well, I mean, again, this is the first book that I finished, but I sort of disagree. He mentions a lot in the book about torture and violence, and uh, he's constantly talking about it in sort of a joking sense, but saying, ha ha ha, the Inquisition, they'll fucking kill you. But then when it actually gets to a point where something's happening in real time, he shies away from it. I think it's hard to make war funny. Yeah. Uh, Like, all this, the the nitty gritty of soldiers storming a city. It's hard mm. to give that the weight that it well, needed and also have, make it funny. I wouldn't even want a nitty gritty. I'd just yes. say, like, there was a big battle yeah. or he opens the door and a million soldiers charges mm. through him. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of, there's, like, a part... Um, I'm not sure if you... I don't think you got up to this part of the book where he's, like, talking about how the soldiers are storming the beach and he's like, and they're gonna... They're gonna kill and pillage and because they're... 
and because um, they're from civilized countries, woo the local woman. <laughs> uh, what's wrong with the local boys anyway? <laughs> well, like it's the violence of the book is it reminds me a bit of um, how Miyazaki's approach to violence in a lot of the Studio Ghibli films. Of they're always incredibly anti-war and um, and war is terrible and you shouldn't do all of that. But then everyone's shooting guns everywhere, and it's like mm. comical uh, mm. that no one ever gets shot. But there's like a million mm-hmm. bullets ricocheting everywhere. Yeah. It's it was it's a dichotomy in Miyazaki films, and I'm like, well, you're saying you're anti-violence, but you're showing that violence yeah. is really funny and really fun. It's also like this book had a lot of, particularly around one particular character, it had a lot of horny references. The um, what was the Numrod? Numrod. Oh yeah, he has to keep going to lie down to purge himself of all the sinful thoughts he keeps <laughs> having. And all, like, the young novices try to get him talking about all the sinful thoughts they should avoid. Um, so, um, it's in- it's an interesting balance. I do agree that, in some ways, it's jarring. Because it's like, here's... This seems, like, too adult for a kid's book. But all the stuff that you're leaving out, I assume... Wouldn't have been because- as bad. Well, it would have been just as bad, at least. Yeah, like... You know, like, it's... If that's, um, if that's fine, then yeah. what was the problem it's, with that? Um, it's yeah, an like, interesting line to draw. I think also that uh, pacing after the first third was a lot better. But during the first third, it was uh, all the stuff in the monastery um, of trying to figure out, like, actually believing that Om is the turtle um, and establishing everyone there that was a slog for me um because like nothing was happening and it was and i was it took a long time for me to sign kind of get to the point should we do the summary because like yeah, none of this will make any sense to now. people that haven't read the book well we yeah uh, as we say in this yeah. podcast do the homework do, yes <laughs> like the point we is have that high expectations yeah. of our listeners you, we we've just ranted for 20 minutes of your time yeah. about the intro to the book and then in that infinitesimal second, we have gone and uh, consumed the book, and we expect you to have done the same. Yes. Uh, or you can use well, I consumed the book. Well, you consumed you the too. book. You too. I came <laughs> very close to consuming the book. I got like 80%. Uh, I got some peas on the plate. Yeah. I, I, in that time, I, fi- I consumed this whole audiobook, finished another audiobook I was in, in the middle of, and almost finished another one. Well, I did it. Yes. <laughs> The show as hell did not do that. Um, Summary. Okay. Where do we start? We start in the desert nation of Omnia, which is pretty much everything in the Discworld is a mirror of our world, Mm. and this is very clearly meant to be a middle of a mirror of like the Middle East. But for some reason, in the audiobooks, everyone has an extremely British accent. Yes. I think that's just (laughs) because it's it's like how um, uh, J.R. Tolkien. Like, for him, all of the... I think it's all the humans... No, all of Middle-earth is effectively Britain. Yeah. Uh, like, you can map it all out to be, like, different areas. Like, this is Wales, this is Scotland, this is blah, blah, blah. Where's Mordor? Uh, What's Mordor the allegory for? France. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm going to say France. Okay, know. cool. But, like, I mentioned the same thing. And I, uh, one of the audience well, we were listening that's to... that's not... It's all meant to be different parts yeah. of the Earth. Uh, if, if any parts... Britain, it's probably Ankh-Morpork, although that's also, that's also, um, or, or Stohelet. Stohelet is like rural Britain, and Ankh-Morpork is like London and um, New York, I guess, combined kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, like, the English Isles have so many wonderful accents, I don't, I don't regret them were, using them. There were very good accents, it's just very weird to, like, be imagining, like, these 
Jewish or Middle Eastern yeah. characters. Yeah, speaking exactly <laughs> like that. Jewish chicken chaser. Yeah, it like... Was, it was interesting to have Didactylus's voice in that because he sounded so, like, American movie Yeah, star. Like, I did not expect yeah, that voice. That was a weird voice choice. <laughs> yeah. But, um, also, in the... So, in the shorter audiobook that I mm-hmm. went through, because it was, like... Like listening to the audio, yeah, the one that was like listening to it on two speed because that's how fast they talk. Um, they they gave the history monk an accent, and I was like, oh, that's a mistake. Oh, they gave they gave the history monk an accent in the the, yeah. yeah. It probably sounded better than the one I listened to, which was a little bit. No, it was very very Chinese. They meant to be Chinese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, It was very Chinese (laughs) to the point where it was like, oh, I don't know if this is okay for a white person to be doing. Um, uh... And I was just like, you know what? I would prefer just British people (laughs) doing British accents than this. Um, I want my authenticity for my magical (laughs) world. It's kind of like in the Chernobyl TV series where they all have... um, I think we mentioned mentioned that before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Chernobyl's great in the accent state. They're like, oh, fuck it. I guess that is a very good comparison to make. But the reason why they made that choice was just like, in that was that we I didn't but, want British people doing Russian accents badly was what the director said and I feel like that was it's probably a better choice. Yes. Yeah. But that 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 history monk character was meant to so much be the archetype of like the wise old Asian man that yes. it wouldn't make any sense to give him a non Asian accent. It would It's not the Asian accent. It's it's hard to describe. If you heard it, you'd probably be like, oh, I don't know about that. But I don't know. We'll see. But anyway, uh, lots of interesting... I did prefer the Amazon Prime audiobook uh, while that was happening. Um, it was just... Yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought that was really good. The only thing I would have changed about that is that I've been spoiled because those other two audiobooks I mentioned are um, this audiobook... Produ- like this independent audiobook producer I've be- I discovered on um, uh, YouTube. I think it's called Steve Parker Audiobooks. I'm going to give him a shout out. Uh, let's me just double check what his name is so I get that right. This is the worst summary we've ever done. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> this uh, is this is we're, getting to, we're getting to it. We're getting to it. <laughs> yeah. Do your homework. Do your homework, David. Steve Parker Audiobooks. I highly <laughs> recommend him. He's just like sure. an independent audiobook producer. Um, who's just doing, like, producing all his own audiobooks of, like, things that have gone out of copyright. Nice. Yeah, so he's done, like, 1984, Wait. War of the Worlds. Is Terry Pratchett out of copyright? No, he's not. He doesn't do Terry Pratchett. Oh. Oh. I, I, wish he, I wish he had, because then I, I'd love to hear this guy's take on hmm. these books. Um, but what, aside from being a fantastic voice actor, um, he also uh, puts in, like, writes his own music and does all this audio and he puts it into the audiobooks and so he, he has like all these little like whenever there's music in the mm-hmm. um books he writes music or sometimes he just puts ambient music in and he mm. puts all these sound effects and everything and it's like it's more like a radio play and uh, it adds like so the, much like, um, uh, it adds so much more zombie detector yeah it's like yeah. that zombo detector what was his name max Bones. Necropolis. Yeah. Max Bones. <laughs> Good old Max Bones. Let's continue with this yeah. summary. And after listening to that, it makes me wish that all audiobooks were like that because it would make it so much better. But anyway, yeah, so we're in Omnia and it's basically a shitty Middle Eastern theocracy that um, were it today, we'd probably be all be signing petitions in support of the protesters, which I hope everyone is doing and writing to their, um, their government if this is still 
relevant by the time. Depending, depending when you're listening to this, whatever's going on, protest it. <laughs> yes, and, please. You know, fight Everyone the good fight. fight whatever yes. it happens to be. Yeah. You know, this is 2022 we're recording this in. So, I mean, give it two months and everything's going to be fucking over. Yeah. Yes. Let's update the episode. Yeah. Continue anyway, on with the summary. Um, did. Uh, damn it! <laughs> so we're in uh, this theocracy. Uh, yeah, this horrible Omnia. theocracy. Um, there's an there's, inquisition. There's or a inquisition. Inquisition is the for when you're torturing. Inqui- inquisitors do the torture of the people in the society, and the expeditors go out and like I think they make war or they like go out and help conquer. I was yeah, I yeah. was confused by that. I guess it's that's the internal. It was. Uh, yeah. or what is it internal versus external yeah. foreign affairs kind of thing basically yeah. it's a shitty fucking place hmm. and um, everything is centered around the religion of the great god Om who is basically the Abrahamic god and does Om turn up in the other books no I don't think so he's re- like the religion is referenced mm-hmm. but um, I don't remember Om showing up in any of the other books okay All right. um, Omnian show up right um yeah, and so basically our main character is brother, who I remember last time we were recording I described as stupid, but in ret- but after rereading or re-listening, he's really not stupid. No. I think I was just remembering the fact that everyone described him as stupid, because mm. everyone thinks he's stupid, but really he's just incredibly neurodivergent of some yes. kind. Yeah, he's a yeah, big autistic little kid. <laughs> yeah, with a, pretty ed- much. Ed- yeah. Ed- edidetic, edidetic? Photographic uh, memory. Yeah, photographic yeah. memory. Photographic memory... Not the best socially, needs to think one thing at a time, mm. but can hold a huge amount of information. Very logical. And yeah. very... Um, very literal. Yeah, yeah. he's very literal is basically oh. the thing. And um, actually, by the end of the book, probably the smartest person in the, mm. in the novel. Um, yeah, possibly the entire Discworld. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he's... But like he can't read and write and stuff like that because his brain don't work that way. Mm. Um, and basically one day, uh, he, he's like a low, a very low level novice who hasn't been able to graduate into monkhood or whatever. And, um, one day he discovers a tortoise who claims to be his God. Mm. And the tortoise is just rumbling around. The tortoise calls himself Om, can speak to him through his mind. And uh, only him. Yeah. And only him. And we're like, what's the deal? Yeah. Um, and then, so, brother gets co-opted by Exquisite of Orbis, who Who's is a scary guy. Yeah. He, he's the guy that runs the Inquisition, which tortures people. Yeah, he's the big antagonist. Of the yeah. Movie. Big antagonist. Possibly he, one of the darkest characters in Discord. Yes, he is very dark. He wants to wage a holy war against the most enlightened country uh, on the Discworld. Yeah. Because it's, it's next on his list. Yes. Like, it's not... Like, that's the bad place, but he's been on this crusade yeah. for a while, yeah. and this is just the next one to fall. The next like, one. It's global domination. Yeah. yeah. Global yeah. as well, because Omni yeah. Yeah. goes by this spherical heliocentric. Yeah, world. that's good, uh, good memory. I forgot about that. And it's like, what are you talking about? The Earth is obviously a sphere. And then when we get to Didactylos? Yeah. Is that the country? Yes. No, he's the philosopher. the philosopher. Oh. Um, Anyway, the, the other country is like, it's obviously flat. Yeah. Duh. And it flies on a turtle. And that's heresy. Yeah. To, to yeah, yeah. And so the problem is, is that new country, Iphibi, 
Yeah. Ephibi, yeah. which is the neighboring country. Which is basically ancient Greece. Yes. Is so advanced technologically that it has just decimated any of their attempts mm. at war. And it's also guarded by an impassable labyrinth. Mm. And mm. so they, um, and so Vorbis notices that brother has a photographic memory and hatches a plan to attack Ephibi, takes him there, um, when kind of gets brother to walk through the labyrinth once or to get people to show him how to do it and so he can then show an invading army how to do it yeah it was, um, a, it was yeah. a cute bit where um Vorbis is like okay cool bro. like what did you notice brother and brother describes a scene that just happened he goes okay cool forget that and brother goes like what how can I do that yes. and when he gets blindfolded and taken into yeah. the main he's like I don't get the point of that because I'm just doing one step forward three steps yeah. to the left two two quarter turn spin and it's like a page yeah. worth of directions yeah. and I like skim through it and I'm like okay I get it you could have just put an ellipsis here and then capped it but it, it wouldn't off. have been as funny and I was like that's a wasted page oh come on mate um uh I don't think the, the labyrinth only guards the yeah, the, it's the, the castle the, or whatever yeah, the, the castle center. which I need to get to yeah. the because the way Ephibia is defended is they've got basically Greek fire yeah. like a big laser tower yeah. um which has decimated the fleet previously and on the other sides, they're bounded by desert, which yeah. is impossible. You cannot pass the desert, so they barely defend it at all. Yeah. And Vorbus has oh, yeah. this The plan. desert is a big thing. Yeah. Big, trippy desert. Vorbus's plan to get the army there has been he sends a chunk of the army out with a cache of water. Mm-hmm. And the army goes as far as it can, and then it dies and leaves the water. And then a second group comes along, feeds from the water from the first one, and goes a little bit further. Mm. And he's done this sort of hopping method, sacrificing hundreds of people in the process to allow the army to cross the desert secretly. And that's how he springs uh, the surprise attack on Ephemia. Yeah. Yeah, Um, Yeah, so anyway... uh, So, yeah, all that happens. They go to Ephemia, which is basically ancient Greece and full of um, naked philosophers running around because they... Are constantly having revelations in the bath and hopping out mm. because that's very pra- that's very Terry Pratchett esque humor. I like the uh, the bath fights are just philosophers. Uh, it was like, is truth beauty? I'll fucking punch your lights out. Is what I, I like. It's the... like an ancient Greece. Yeah. yeah. It's just... <laughs> um, Remember today's where philosophers could suplex a man. Yeah. Well, I that's why I took martial arts. <laughs> uh, I, I wish I just lived in a more gender-equal ancient Greece. I think it would be perfect place for me. They meet Didactylos? Yeah, oh yeah, is... they meet Didactylos, who's basically Diogenes. Yes. Um, the dirty, barrel-dwelling... Um... Oh, like, he wasn't quite as foul as yeah. Di- Like He was quite a nice guy, he just lives in the barrel, but he's kind of like... Everyone, a lot of people live in barrels. Like, Some people have cool. saunas in there. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. barrels are the shit. Oh, yeah. Um... Very fashionable. And he's like the chief because Om is guiding uh, brother on all of this. And yeah. he's like, we need someone to do the thinking. I'm a turtle. My yeah. brain power is tiny, and I yeah. keep thinking about lettuce. Yeah. And you're an idiot. Yeah. So we need someone to do the thinking for us. We need to find us a philosopher, preferably yeah. a cheap one. And they figure out that the reason that um, Om is, who is actually Om, it turns out, is the um, is a tur- stuck in the shape of a tortoise, is because um, basically. Nobody. Oh, so the thing is no that no one really believes in him. Yeah, nobody really believes him. Gods in Discworld, much like in Marvel and American Gods, and uh, a few other things. I mean, it's a popular idea is that they're powered by belief. 
I'm now curious where that idea came from, if it was Terry Pratchett or someone else. Um, American Gods is Neil Gaiman, isn't it? Yeah, and but they work Neil Gaiman got all these ideas. <laughs> and I didn't. But they, they work they they work work very closely. Yeah. Um, Same sort of British pub think tank. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so Gods yeah. of Power so by Belief. So Gods of Power by Belief, and basically nobody in Omnia believes in Arm anymore. They're just afraid of the rules <laughs> of the Inquisition. And the only believer is... Um, Brother. brother they believe in the system yeah they believe they believe in the structure and yeah. the organization of the religion they don't actually believe in anything that the religion yeah. is saying to them mm. or even still a lot of the time uh brother will be talking to arm and he's like oh in this book in this mm. passage uh this was the rule you have to stone heretics it's like what like did i, I say that yes yeah. you did like i don't remember that yeah so basically arm is meant to be like a stand-in like the the god they were they supposedly worship is like the abra the fire and brimstone jealous um horror old testament old testament god um but om himself is basically i guess more like a more like the god the deus god in that well actually not even like the deus god because the deus god created the reality basically om didn't do shit (laughs) he just um, enjoyed the spoils inspired of the his religion mm-hmm. uh, and um, he doesn't he basically the, he's more like a Greek god but even less involved mm-hmm. um, he just basically the gods of the Discworld they're very simple minded and okay so this book basically explains how the gods of the Discworld um, mm-hmm. work it's called small gods because all gods start off as basically molecules of consciousness which are the small gods and they can and all of they're just molecules of desire and the desire is for belief so they um they basically prey on humans and try and manip do like manipulate tiny the tiny things that they can do the tiny sort of quantum mechanical miracles they can do to manipulate humans into or the other such beings on Discworld into believing on the, in them, and if they can inspire people to believe in them, they grow stronger and fatter, and um, more powerful. So that's ba- that's basically all the gods want. They want belief through mm. whatever um, means necessary, but they don't really care about their believers or what they do. So basically, Om just established a religion and then. Left he's them an absent to it. father. Yeah, he's an absent father. Pretty, Pretty much. much. Yeah. He decided to come down one day to check on how things were going, uh, expecting to turn into a great tyrannical bull, yeah. and then turn into a turtle, and for three years wandered the desert, yeah. unaware that he was even a god. It took yeah. him that long to yeah. piece everything together. No, it's because he landed near Brother that his godhood was based, his memories were reactivated, because Brother was his last remaining believer. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah, yeah, all right. So he was just a turtle, and then got to Brother, and he was like, yeah. oh yeah, I'm a god, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he's uh, yeah we yeah we find all of, all of that out, and so um, what was then the coup happens. Yeah. So yeah. Um, oh, so they get stuck in the desert. They walk. Yeah. So him and Vorbus get stuck in the desert for a bit, and he has several opportunities to kill Vorbus, who is in some kind of shell shocked state. Because um, they've just been um, on a yeah, ship crash, ship, a ship, ship crash, wreck, shipwreck. 
Yep. Um, and but brother chooses not to because brother is a very nice. Brother person. is basically Jesus. Jesus, yeah. Despite um, um repeatedly yeah. telling him, just fucking just kill, kill him. He's an asshole. He's killed yeah. thousands of yeah. people. Yeah. He would kill you if given the chance. Yeah. You should kill him. Om um, def- obviously really wants brother to be alive since if brother. So the whole thing is basically Om um, in constant anxiety because if if brother dies, he goes be- back to being a smaller bird. Mm. Yeah. He doesn't want that. Yeah, which so, Ruth is very horrifying. Yes, mm. billions of them swarming around and trying to bribe people with meat. Yeah, so basically yeah. the whole like crossing the desert part, it's very much like a lot of religious parable because a lot of them like contain deserts. Yes. And I don't know, deserts are very trippy places. Mm. Probably because they're featured in a lot of religious parables. Yeah, like um, the story of how... Um... Uh, Moses wandered the desert for 40 yeah. years over like a three square kilometer area yeah. that like, and in modern days is like mm, 40 okay you can, you can walk the earth in like a couple of years not 40 Jesus' <laughs> temptation in the desert and also that episode of the Simpsons where Homer takes those those chilies and ends up in that trippy desert yes. So um, the three great books yeah yep. so yeah very, very like a, it's basically a tribute to religious parables and trippy yeah. deserts where the explanation for all the trippiness of the desert is that it's full of small gods who have been um, pushed into the least populated areas by a natural selection mm. and have the ability to manipulate people's minds and tempt them with in desperate hopes to create believers. Yes. Mm. And we have a nice little cameo by death as well at several points because when characters die... Uh, the death isn't shown, and I'm f- I'm fine with that. Like something happens in a character, like everything's just kind of chill, and they're standing in a desert, and they go, "Oh, oh, okay, I guess I'm dead then." And death turns up, is like, "Yo, so yeah." That happens in every Discord. Keep, keep book. on. Go- oh, yeah. it does. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and uh, they appear in this desert, and they have to walk the desert, find their way out. Not all the time. Most of them end up in the desert because most of them are omnians, but mm. they go to whatever afterlife they believe they would be in. Okay, that's how that works. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. For them, they cross the desert and reach judgment. The sailors don't. The, the sailors sa- get stuck on a ship forever. Yeah, and they're like, "All right, let's just." And they're like, "Oh, so what afterlife do you know?" Like, "Oh, I know Valhalla yes. that isn't named for legal reasons." And uh, and another one. Um, and they're like, you know how to get to those? Nope. Oh well. All right. I guess we're, let's just sail and see where we go. <laughs> yeah. So all that happens. Oh, right before they get back to Omnia, though, Vorbis. Uh, captures brother and claims that all of the religious things that brother has been have have happening to him have actually happened to him and that he's a new prophet and he gets to be in charge of everything and brother by this point is a bit sick of the whole religion thing yeah. and kind of just comes around and goes you know actually no none of that happens i think indirectly i don't think he means to do it he just happens to the, say the wrong things in the wrong places I know, there's this very epic moment where like he's, he's having this crisis of because yeah. well, he gets separated from Orm at that moment and he doesn't know if Orm is still alive. Yeah, because Orm a... got left in the desert yeah. when Vorbis woke up, clonked brother on the head with a rock, picked him up, oh, picked up the wrong turtle, there happened to be yeah. another turtle, pegged it at a rock to kill yeah. him, uh, picked up brother and then started walking off back to Omnia yeah. and then Orm uh, panicked and like tried to catch up mm-hmm. and, could, and then get yeah. separated. Yeah, so mm-hmm. basically, I, I actually love this part of the book because there's all these different actions working in parallel to leave up to these moments and um so while this has all been happening there's also like an underground um like rebellious movement in um mm. omnia that believes that believes in the um t- great turtle atuan that yeah and they they're trying to take down the um like religious order meanwhile while this is happening they're like building tanks with the help of the ephibian mm. philosophers and um 
like sabotaging uh, stuff in mm. the citadel, and so um, like brother has this moment of ah, <laughs> a religious um, anguish. anguish, and he starts shouting at these um, great gates that are meant to be holy and controlled by Om's mm-hmm. breath. And he's like shouts at the gate and says, "Give me a sign!" And just while that happens, like the saboteurs like break the hydraulics that control the gate and they open. <laughs> yeah. And then he like walks up to the um, to Vorbis, who's on the other side, and he almost hits him, but then he doesn't hit him, which is actually makes Vorbis more mad mm-hmm. because it's because um, it doesn't give him the opportunity to turn the other cheek. Yeah, Vorbis yeah. is claiming to be uh, the next prophet. Yeah, because um, there's. It's been prophesied that they're about due for another prophet, uh, I think. Yes. Um, and Vorbis yeah. is now saying that he is it, and so he's about to get coronated or some shit. The eighth prophet, and eight is the most important number one Discworld. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he goes to hit Vorbis, but he chooses not to, and then Vorbis chains him to a giant tortoise to kill in him. The most obvious Jesus. Um, yeah. yeah, crucified uh, on a turtle. Yeah. Uh, there's being it's an iron turtle. It's slowly being heated, and then they're going to do some other nasty stuff to him. I bet. Yeah. And then while all this is happening, throughout the whole book, um, Om's been hiding from this uh, eagle, which wants to pick him up and smash him on a rock. Because as we are told many times, there's good eating in a turtle. Um, And towards the end of the book, Om just lets himself be finally caught by this eagle. And then in a moment that wouldn't work in the real world, because eagles aren't actually built this way, he grabs the eagle's testicles in his mouth and basically flies the eagle to the citadel mm. and makes it drop him on top of Vorbis's head just as brother tells him in front of a crowd on the back of the t- turtle that Vorbis is going to die. Mm. And that... Kills Vorbis instantly. Kills yeah. Vorbis instantly, which is a reference to a, I think, a Greek poet or something that died in exactly that way. Oh, okay. Yeah. The whole book is basically just cobbled together with historical and mm. mythological references. And because, like, everyone was watching and already from the, uh, like, the gates opening, from uh, like, from Brother's sign and everything, already were kind of primed to think that there was something special about Brother. The fact that Vorbis died just as Brother said that he was going to die. Vorbis is famously hated and feared. He is yeah. the true power behind the church. Yeah. He's not even, like the highest or the second highest ranking. Yeah. He's the head of the exquisition, but even that, he's I don't think he's the boss of officially, mm. but like all hierarchy above him are just stuffy old men who mm. don't know what the fuck they're doing. Vorbis is the power behind the thing. Yeah. Vorbis is competent. Yeah. yeah. So basically seeing um, a seemingly, like a, basically seeing Vorbis die just after Brothers said that um, Om was coming and that Vorbis was going to die, basically reignites the faith of the entire... Well, ignites the faith of the entirety of, like, the Omnian onlookers, which gives... um, Which uh, basically ubercharges Om's power, and he Mm. sort of... In what I imagine would look great on on screen, he basically sort of bubbles up from the shape of a tortoise into this... Um, giant, I, giant, giant man, I guess. But mm. it, it, the way it's described is very. If cool. anyone's seen uh, the Star Trek episode "Who Mourns for Adonis," that. Yeah. 
I didn't which, that it's, it's just like there's a great guy that's on like a 60s mm-hmm. film stage yeah. and then he just whoop and he's like 10 meters tall no, and Kirk like, is looking up and I'm like whoa no it's like he like morphs and shifts to all these different forms that people imagine him having oh yeah he like becomes a bill and yeah. everything and that and then it becomes this dude yeah. and it's a very cool moment um yeah and um so now they're in business but uh while this was all always happening um a Phoebe over um retook a Phoebe from the Omnians and they'd been basically putting together their sort of um Discworld NATO thing <laughs> to go and So they, they put together a NATO. Yeah, like and then, and they um, and Discworld na- coastal NATO thing to go and um just retake the No destroy Omnia, wipe Omnia off the map because everyone's yeah, pretty much fucking sick of them by now. Hmm. And um and that so that's about the point that I, that uh, me and Jezebel got up to because um, everything was sorted. Uh, Om started going, "All right, what's your commandments, yeah. brother? You tell me what we should believe." And brother's like, "I'm not sure we should do that because yeah. that didn't work. Because yes. uh, every time you've gotten the prophet to write down rules, the prophet just keeps making up rules, and they end up weirder and more divorced. Yeah. You need to be a part of this. People shouldn't <laughs> do things because a god says they should do that." Um, people should because the god might say something different some yeah, other yeah. time people should do things because it's the right thing to do yeah, yeah. and uh, Om says uh, uh, a constitutional religion yes. which is an interesting concept <laughs> yeah and um, yeah so they get to this point where um, after a bunch of misadventure they all the armies basically come to blows and so Om decides okay it's time for me to actually it's time for me to learn my lessons from this whole adventure and actually do something for once. Yeah. So with his red hot power of fresh belief, he flies to what's basically what is um, Mount Olympus. Mount Olympus on Discworld. This is the. It was like a constellation. He described it as. Was it? It's Cory Celeste. Corys, is it? A, is it actually a mountain? Or? No, it's a, it's ten. It's a ten it mile a... high spike. In the oh. center of this trail, yeah. okay. yep. where the gods live, and he goes there, and he basically starts beating up all the other gods of the <laughs> other um, of the invading armies, and forces them to manifest on the b- beach. And and he says the two commandments that um, he gives: um, "This is not a game," and "Right now we are alive." Okay, interesting. Um. Yeah, and anything much after that? And then finally, it's a hundred years later, and Omnia is reformed into this uh, open sort of. It's now got the second biggest library on the Discworld, and um, many Athenian philo- philosophers live there, and it's a center of like uh, debate on the Discworld. It's got a variety of different religions debating with each other as to what is the true one holy book in this enormous mm-hmm. library. It's um, uh, the um, Didactylus's nephew, Urn, who, like, builds all the stuff. He's built all this infrastructure all across the place. Basically, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, yeah, it's 100 years later, and, um, Brother is, like, the new head priest, and when he realizes it's been 100 years, he just dies. <laughs> and then he ends up in the desert, and he finds out that Vorbis is still where he, um, first appeared, because he was too afraid to cross the desert on his own. Was he afraid or was he lost? He, 
for the because the whole thing that was always emphasized about Vorbis throughout the entire story is that he always was completely certain about what he was doing, mm-hmm. and then when he dies and he ends up in the desert, he loses that certainty, mm-hmm. and it just completely paralyzes him and he can't do anything, mm-hmm. and then. Um, Brother shows up, shows up and um, sees Warvis there, and he reaches out for him. And Death says, "You know, he's a murderer who killed thousands of people and turned more into murderers." And um, our brother's just like, "Yes, that's Warvis, but I'm me." <laughs> and then he takes his hand and starts leading him through the desert. There was another really sweet moment as well earlier. This is just as the climax is happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and brother is uh, being crucified, Uh, the crowd is rearing up, the tank is broken, um, and the nephew... Yeah. uh, What's his name? Ern. And the leader of the resistance. Simony. Simony. They are in the crowd, and they're like, uh, Ern is like, we've got to go up there and save Mm. him. Mm -hmm. And Simony says, no, he's more useful to us as a martyr, as a symbol, we should let this happen, because that will bring the crowd up, and we will attack. And Ern says... Oh, now I realize how evil Vorbis. He turns people into himself. He turns you into that type of person. I thought that was a really powerful moment. That that moment was really good in the audible audio book I was mm-hmm. listening to. Just the um, the voice acting where he says, and he and he says, um, Simony's like, well, what's the what's the difference? We're gonna, we'll d- brother will die either way if we storm the stage or or we don't. And Simony's like, you don't know the di- uh, no no um, and like. You don't know the difference. You don't know, and just the the narrator's distress that he put into his voice was mm. really effective. Mm. Um, because yeah, the book is all about yeah the themes of um, organized religion being mm. a huge part of it. I, I really liked the distillation here of um, the cycle of violence mm. um, of Vorbis is thinking strategically with all this violence. And so Simony thinks the only way to fight that is to yeah. use strategic mm. violence in response. And the opposition to that is, that's fucking crazy. Yes. Don't do that. Like, it, maybe yeah. it won't work, but it's still not the right yeah. thing to do. The Dactylus actually highlights that at one point, mm. where because when, um, what's what his name again? Ern? Ern, yeah. Yeah. When Ern's building the tank and he's like, you know, why are you building? He's like, this isn't philosophy. Like, this is a war machine. And he's pretty much like, yeah, but this is going to do something good. And he's like, are you going to destroy it then? Are you going to take it apart? Are you going to burn it? And he was just like, no. He was like, okay. So what happens so, when the next guy Yeah, so him? what's going to happen now? You how know, you, like... You um, gonna, yeah. uh, it's the Doctor Who quote. How are you going to protect your glorious revolution yes. from the next one? From the next one. Uh, so it's, yeah, a lot of... I didn't even remember Ern from the last time I read this book, but this time, like, I really liked him as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, he's definitely more practical yeah. than Didactylus. Yeah. I know, he, he, I, he was one of the standouts for me. Yeah, he grew on me. Yeah. Um, he grew on me a bit more in the second. It might be because his character started coming through when I was mm. listening to the Spotify version. But I don't know. Um, I didn't feel like the they gave him a whole lot, at least in the beginning. He seemed just like a warrior. Um, oh, Simony? Not you Simony. About Aaron or... No, Aaron. Oh, okay. He's just kind of like fretting over Didactylus. Yeah, because like, yeah. Didactylus is like basically almost literally fiddling while Nero burns yeah. uh, or Rome burns because you're like, oh, this book. And I was like, okay, I don't care. Tell me what books we're saving. It's like, oh, we need to save them all. Like, we can't. Yes. Like, I have geometry right. and I have maths here. We, we skimmed over something. 
which oh, was yeah. that I totally forgot that they part. burnt down the library of a Phoebe, which, which is, is like a huge philosophical basically library. a reference yes. to a reference to um, library the library of Alexandra. Yes. Yeah. Um, and to save it, they get brother to read every single scroll in the library almost with his pho- a lot of them. almost all of them with his photographic memory, which is a big moment of the character development for him because mm. he all of a sudden gets introduced to stupid amounts of ideas that he was not privy to before. Yeah. Uh, and it really, it was what I didn't get about that is how he understood the information because he can't read. In um, Discworld, words are magic. Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't mentioned. Because, yeah, like, yeah. I figured it was just the kind of thing of immersion mm. and eventually cogs and gears would turn mm. enough and it, it, his yeah. brain is sort of processing it. Because sure. initially, uh, they're like, because Ern is skeptical that he can even do this. Mm. Okay, third scroll, yes. fourth paragraph down. Uh, yes. What does it say? I don't know. I can't read. It's not working. Like, how is this going to be yes. useful? Like, well, I know what it looks like. Yes. Okay, well, what was the beast there? Uh, it looked like this, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Like, that's accurate. Cool. Yes. He, he knows what this is. He just can't read it. Because my whole thing would be like, well, they just have to teach him to read and mm. write, and then he can... But he can, but they people try to teach him, and his brain just doesn't work in a way that... Okay. Although he kind of does figure it out by the end, because he's just so saturated with the knowledge yeah. that the magic of Discord... Yeah, I think it's, it's the equivalent of immersion therapy. He just mm. got all of that blasted into him, and it was stuff that could be figured out. It was puzzles to solve, and eventually just kind of worked. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he has all of that in his brain. He starts like popping out uh, facts here and there as stuff comes up. And that's why Omnia has the biggest library in the, the second biggest library because he, he describes all right. the books. Um, yeah, I, I ship Owen with Simony for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, they're together a lot. Yeah, they are. That seems to be the basis of most ships as yeah. someone who doesn't really ship from the outside. I'm like, these two characters spend a lot of time with each other. These two Therefore, people do stand next they, to each other. They, do, they sure do stand next to each other and they have contrasting personalities. Yeah. And yeah. apparently. They should kiss. Yes. Yeah. I <laughs> apparently, know. that is it. I, I, yeah. I, I did not ship them the last time I read this, which, which was back when I was much more into, like, enthusiastic about finding everyone to ship. But I don't know. So I don't know why I ship them now. Oh, by the way, Ern, Ern is the like the practical philosopher, the nephew of Didactus, and Sumini is like the leader of the rebels. Yes, um, yeah. the very militaristic one. Yeah, and he's uh, trying to drum up uh, enthusiasm, like the turtle moves, and Didactus like, oh, uh, I mean, yeah, I just wrote that in the book. He's like, I know it's amazing. It's it will inspire our revolution. Well, like, I, I he's really... always looking for a symbol. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he's yeah. trying and. Didactylos is like speaking to a crowd and it's not, like it's not jazzing. It's like mm-hmm. I'm not meant to be no. this book wasn't meant to be inspiring. I just wrote that the turtle Oh, yes. there was another real good bit of um when uh Vorbis is on the throne uh in Greece, um and he brings the uh Didactylos up to him to be like, Do you did you write the book about the turtle? Yes. Um, like do you believe that there is turtle? Like, no. Like mm-hmm. I can, I can change that. Sure, yes. like I'll write a million books yes. uh, that disc- that change that. I will change my entire theory. And I was like, oh, oh okay, that I wasn't expecting that. Like, yeah, it's totally fine. And then he is about to walk out the room and just like ditches his lantern. And the guy is like, also fuck you though, <laughs> and then runs off. <laughs> yeah, it's um. So my general thoughts on this were just generally that I guess I I liked its development. I liked it. It seemed to have something to say that it said clearly which was nice um it's terry pratchett is usually on the money when it comes to what he is describing in terms of like 
yeah, this probably is how people who are like dogmatically involved in religious structures without truly necessarily who are in it for the power in effect probably think and act like sort of thing. But it's um you know, I guess a very simplified, funny way. But um I guess I like this a lot more near the end when it's building up. See Yeah, the what, ending is the best bit. Yes. A lot of the books I really like work in that way where they really build to like one big thing. Um I want to be the Malazan books are a lot like that, but you never got to the bits when I did that. Yeah, which that, is unfortunate because I understand that there's 18 hours of book before that happens. Yeah, but it's yeah, the they build in momentum. The the uh, the double edge of the sword of a thing that builds really well is uh, well, I agree, and, I, and my favorite series do build to big bits. Uh, the counter to it is it gets better later isn't a good excuse if it's not enough to be enjoyable for the opening bit. You might have written War and Peace and, and the most amazing stuff in the end, but I'm not going to watch 2,000 episodes of One Piece. No. Um, I'm not going to... Uh, One so Piece starts good. Does it? I would say so. Okay. I don't know. I, yeah, like I've never watched it. Or like Naruto as well. Um, I just know yes. that they're famous for being incredibly long yes. and all anime yes. fans will say, oh, but it gets good later. Not, not enough. I would say One Piece starts good. One Piece takes a while to really get to One Piece. In terms mm-hmm. of like the, it's always it's always good and enjoyable, but like you only have you're like here's our core group of characters. You get that like five arcs in, um, so it's like because each arc is let's find a new character mm-hmm. and we'll introduce that character and we'll show you their arc and that's a lot more effort than a lot of anime put into their ensemble of like here's our core group of mm-hmm. heroes in a show. Um, it's very front loaded. It's still not bad. I wouldn't call it bad, but it doesn't fall into its rhythm as a show until a little bit later in. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's been a while since I watched any One Piece. But One Piece is also gargantuan. Mm. I think it's like 2,000 episodes. There was some, it's something there was ridiculous. some quote or something recently where it's like, I finally finished the setup. I can get to what I wanted to. And I'd be like, fuck off, dude. Mm-hmm. You're a, I don't care. You're a bad writer if it's taking you this long to get there. It's um, it's an enjoyable setup mm-hmm. for One Piece. And if that is the One Piece is worth it in that way. Um, Back to Discworld. Yeah, sure. for Discworld. Um, yeah, yeah, finish off. But I guess yeah, for me, I don't have a huge amount more to say about anything in particular because I think we covered a lot of it during that massive summary that we did, mm. um, which is good. I think it's not a bad way of going through it. But I guess. The only other bits and pieces that I liked about this was how everyone felt like they served a purpose in this. There wasn't very many extraneous characters. I liked how this was a very dark Discworld book yeah, by Discworld very... comparisons. Um, like, this was really dark. Like, that bit where he makes the captain kill, kill... a porpoise, yeah. mm-hmm. which is, like, directly against his belief system, but he makes him do it to be mm-hmm. just out of, like cruelty like Vorbis gets him to do that mm. um is like that was like that's really heavy mm. like i don't think i've read something that heavy in a discworld book before um it was it was this was dark man some <laughs> of the, i didn't expect some of the city guards ones get pretty dark like oh they can yeah, yeah. absolutely like when vimes is like super alcoholic mm. well I, mean, I remember one moment uh in a city guards book which i think resonates with small gods a lot is that um again they have a torture center in Ankh-Morpork in the past and they 
there's this it's it's very much like the plot of this book in some ways mm-hmm. um that they're rebelling against the old regime and they storm the secret police area and they find all the um like the torture rooms torture mm-hmm. chambers and they they find all the people and they just start um euthanizing them because um all right yeah that's rough <laughs> yeah that, i think that's probably one of the um darkest moments in a discord book mm-hmm. and these are the heroes the heroes like find yeah. all these people that have it's, been tortured i'd say like, that's rougher than anything in this book yeah. yeah and they're just like and then we um and then it's just, the, the line is just something like and we ended their pain oh. <laughs> that's really rough mm. that's awful this did remind me a little bit. There's um there's another book series I read once. I wouldn't introduce it in the podcast, so I feel happy talking about it. And I don't think either of you two would read it on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was called The Left Hand of God, and it's a bit pretty much about what if a super militaristic, like religious organization conquered most of the known world? If it's like a fantasy setting sort of thing. There's a bit in that which, for some reason, has jogged my memory around, where um this the enemy like the Vorbis effectively. The Exquisitor, kind of everyone mm-hmm. is a heretic and all that, puts together the most elite fighting force in this militaristic, like, religious society he possibly can. And they get them all in one place, and he's like, okay, I'm going to train them, and I'm going to kill all the and protagonists and all of that. And he writes, um, he's signing off notes for his secretary, and he hands him, like, a note, and the secretary reads it, and it has, like, a dot next to something, and he's like, the dot means like execute and it's like everyone's name like uh, mm. all the it's, it's a list of all the names of all the people and he's put like a dot next to it he's like the guy's like the dot means execute and he goes to like the executor like and he's like we have to kill every one of the people that's currently here and they're just like are you sure he's like yeah absolutely that's what it means and so they kill these entire elite army overnight um and then the, when he wakes up the next day the dude looks at it and he goes that means i've read it like, <laughs> and it's such a weird moment in that particular book. But for so, there's something very funny about it that kind of reminds me of a certain Terry Pratchettism mm, to it. Right. Of like, it's this it's this weird subversion of this whole like I've got my mega army and I accidentally ordered them. And one misinterpretation resulted in them all being killed overnight. Mm. And it was just like. Weird. Hey, I don't know why I thought about that. But no, no that, that's, that's a very, that's a very terrible yes, yeah. sort of thing that would happen. Yeah. Well, one of the things they kind of establish is that even though um, Omnia is able to temporarily seize a Phoebe, in the end it serves, it like, it cannot stand up against a Phoebe. And um, it seems a foregone conclusion when all the, the fleet shows up that um, Om is go- Omnia is going to be wiped from the surface of the disc mm-hmm. and um i like how you had to reprogram <laughs> yeah. your turn of phrase there for that it is it is cute and i assume it's a thing constantly or maybe just in this book of the whole like you think the earth is a globe you fucking idiot yeah. it's obviously that not. was a good joke that was a good joke <laughs> you're insane yeah. <laughs> um i was say oh the, it basically establishes that a theocracy where people are terrified of their leaders can't stand up against a um, democracy where everyone questions the leaders and has the ability to challenge one another and free th- free thought because that's something we're very much seeing happening right now mm-hmm. and this sort of happened repeatedly throughout history from what I can tell. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, there's a lot you can get done with a theocracy and an, and an autocracy. Uh, it's not good stuff. Uh, and it's not fun. Don't do it. But at the end of the day, um, it's not a sustainable system. No. Because if you stamp out all your intellectuals and your free thinkers and anyone that can point out, even question the um, um, tyrant, whether they might maybe consider doing something a slightly different when they're trying to do something that's maybe not in the area of their expertise, mm-hmm. then you're bound to eventually fail. Yeah. I like the um, uh, the gates uh, in the Omnian Temple are this miracle of engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's said that, like, oh, they're solid bronze and uh, with, the, with the word of God, I can mm-hmm. open these doors. Mm-hmm. They're actually, like, hydraulically mm-hmm. designed and powered. Um, and the guy, the form of the reason why no one knows how to maintain them is because the guy who built them got killed because that's how they do patent protection in yeah. Omnia. They just killed the designer, so the pipes are all rusted to hell and are on the verge of collapse, which means yeah. it's so easy to sabotage. Yeah. Um, no one's been maintaining them because no one knew the mechanism existed because everyone who did got killed. Mm, exactly. Mm. There's. Something in what you said just a bit ago around like how the like fear doesn't work to inspire people, and we as psychologists have known that for a very long time. Great example of that. I used to work um, in retail for quite a while, and one of my retail jobs, I had this boss who was very oppressive, and I was always trying to anticipate what he wanted so that he wouldn't yell at me. If that makes sense, and so there, I remember there were times like a customer came up and was like, "Do you have any? Do you have any nougat?" I knew we didn't have nougat, right? However, I was so worried that we might have nougat and I might be wrong by saying that we didn't and that my boss might get mad at me for doing that, that I was kind of like, I don't really know. And then he got really mad at me Mm. over that. (laughs) That's fantastic. But it's like, I did my job far, far worse than I would have normally because I was attempting to anticipate what my boss wanted me Mm -hmm. to, Mm. what I thought he might want me to do on my Mm. job. The and meetings so, will continue until morale improves. Yeah, until morale improves, kind of thing. So it was just, um, and that's pretty much a nice microcosm of how fear doesn't work yeah. to inspire effective people hmm. at the end of the day. Because you're not really thinking about what you should be doing to do it well. You're thinking about what you think the person above you wants. Mm. Yeah, fear yeah. might get you obedience, yes. but it won't get you competence. Yes, that's um, a mistake. Um, unless they're already right? competent. Mm-hmm. And that competence might then disappear after a while. It won't breed competence. It no. won't breed knowledge or training. Yes. It's a big mistake a lot of parents make when a lot of parents are like, they harshly punish their kids. And I'm like, well, what you're doing here is you're teaching your kids like how to, in effect, read into every single thing that you're doing. If that makes you're teaching your kid to make you happy. Hmm. <laughs> you're not teaching your kid to be anything in particular you're teaching your kid how to not upset you and how to manage your feelings as the yeah, adult you're not teaching a kid yeah, so. how to not spill yeah. a drink yeah. you're teaching the kid how to not make me hit you how to no. how to make me how to not upset me <laughs> yeah. yeah which actually um, this ties back into the whole theme of yes. not believing in the god just believing yeah. in the fear of the mm. power structure yeah. it's all connected yes. yeah I think I'm done with what I have to say. Yeah. Anything else? Um, yeah, like I think there's a lot of good stuff in this book, and I, I think after talking through it, I, I do like it a bit more. But I still think that um, 
the writing style, I, I just wouldn't be able to get behind. I would have to do audiobooks for any other Terry Pratchett stuff to get mm-hmm. into it. Um, the amount uh, of clever little flourishes and puns all the way throughout it just distract me constantly. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of Thor Ragnarok, which had uh, elements of and some pretty cool mm-hmm. epic storytelling, but had so many jokes and punchlines in it that it deflated everything else or distracted from everything else. This is it, one of the relatively less um, <laughs> jokey Discord novels. Yes. Yeah. It gets a lot worse from here. <laughs> that was actually... I don't think that's an unreasonable critique because when you articulated it earlier before we did the podcast, I realized that that's a similar critique that I've always had, but I didn't mm-hmm. really think about it because uh, a lot of my Discord reading was as a teenager and that. And I can't actually remember much of what happens in any Discworld book. I remember that they're funny. Mm. Um, like it's there's uh, there's a Douglas there's and that a might from, also be me. There's a line so. from Hitchhiker's Guide. I can't remember a specific Terry Pratchett example, but it's the same sort of thing, the same sort of humor, the absurdist yeah. type thing of uh, the ship hung in the air in much the same way that a brick doesn't. Yes. Um, and it's it's a verbal contradiction, and it's funny and it's cute, yeah. and I like it. But when every single description is that, mm-hmm. I'll go, okay, but you you keep doing all of this uh, weird verbal um, hoops for me to jump through. I don't know what it is you're describing anymore. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like what H.P. Lovecraft wanted to do. Yeah. H.P. Lovecraft's uh, solution to describing something scary was saying, oh my God, this is so scary, I can't describe it. Yeah. And I go, don't write a book then. Or he would. And yeah. he would just assume that it was unimaginable. Hmm. Like, I love that meme that's going around where it's like, Cthulhu is like unfathomable. But I can fathom him. Giant squid guy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> easy. Done. Yeah. Next. <laughs> the HP Lovecraft would go, oh my god, this thing was awful. It looked like this and this and this and this. But it was too horrible to describe. That, that's literally <laughs> his writing. We've done this before, I think. Oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah. That's okay. But- we might have done it. In this, so... <laughs> Possibly, yeah. But Let's Terry Pratchett um, actually takes quite a bit of influence from um, Lovecraft, or at least Who he doesn't? references mm. um, Lovecraft a lot in his Dungeons Dimensions, and he always describes the um, uh, inhabitants of the Dungeon Dimensions as looking something like a cross between a squid and a very angry bicycle. Yeah. Yeah, like... But I can somewhat picture that. Yeah. Actually, See, I can't. Like, the, the description of an angry bicycle... Makes go, okay, well, that's that's telling me a uh, a square circle. It's not a thing. Well, I think that's the point. Yeah, and I go, okay, well, now that description is useless. I can't picture the thing. Why did you waste a sentence on that? Terry Pratchett's writing is isn't a... really for practicality. <laughs> <laughs> I was... I thought that's where she was going. <laughs> and I was like, how are you going to land this? <laughs> What's the nice way to put that? And I'm glad that you didn't go there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I liked the heart in this book. I liked... Yeah, that's um, the main thing I liked. Uh, well. I liked the deprogramming yeah. of uh, Brother. I liked um, the... I think one of the coolest twists at the end was uh, going, oh... Vorbus has turned you into one of himself because you were willing to martyr him. That's that's still like saving brother, but doing doing anything like that means we would still be at square one. I, we can't save humanity without keeping a hold of what makes us human. Yeah. Quote from Topol from Star Trek Enterprise. Boom. Yeah. I didn't actually. No, it was a quote from Archer quoting <laughs> quoting Topol. Other way around. So Topol must have said it. At some yeah. Point. No, Archer said it, and Topol was quoting him. Okay. He was, doing, <laughs> okay. he was doing some nefarious shit. Uh, and <laughs> she's like, I'm calling you on this. Best Star Trek. 
I, I gotta say, when I was reading this, I realized that I, since I first read this as a younger, or not a teenager, but a young adult, I've become way more cynical. And um, so uh, hmm. I become a different person because I remember when I read all this for the first time, I was taking it all in. I was just like, yes, yes, this all makes perfect sense. I'm going to base all my opinions on this. This is yep. beautiful. I love it. And now I'm listening to it. I'm like, it's very nice, but I'm not sure if I agree. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes evolution. you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you gotta you gotta lose a couple thermonuclear warheads. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the thing with Terry Pratchett is that he's he's often like at his core not wrong with what mm. he's saying, but it's a simplification, mm. and it's just mm. kind of like this is a little, it's a little bit more complicated than this, um, which I think is one of the reasons why sometimes his the heart and the meaning of what he's trying to say gets a bit lost because mm. like yes, it would be great if things were like that, but they're not, um, mm. and it's kind of it's yeah yeah. Anyway, I think I'm about done. Yeah. Oh, something good. I didn't notice, uh, I didn't realize when I was rereading or re-listening that I had to read, realize when reading some of the annotations on one of the Terry Pratchett mm-hmm. websites, was that um, oh, actually, it says so at the end of the book that brother was actually supposed to die, mm-hmm. um, and there's supposed to be a hundred years of war. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't realize was that the thing that stopped that was that the history monk. Um, sabotage the tank so that you know when the tank breaks because yeah. the um the lever breaks off yeah it was actually the um the history monk went and s- sabotaged the tank when it was cooling off mm. he made sure that it would become brittle mm-hmm. and i i didn't i didn't pick up on that um when i yeah, was that, there was another it. like subplot of mm. these history monks yeah. going around and doing stuff and they, they nicked a couple of scrolls from the library mm. and it literally says this is not relevant to the story mm. uh, as a sentence and then at the end I yeah. think you're thinking that was the orangutan so the orangutan is you don't know about discourse you don't know about the orangutan the librarian of the unseen university which is the wizard school in Ankh-Mong Pork yeah. is a librarian uh, is, is an orangutan mm-hmm. um, and also libraries are connected interdimensionally in this world mm-hmm. so basically that was the orangutan jumping in and grabbing some shit but there was a bit at the start of the book where one of the monks from the unseen university was was going to go and do some stuff and then at the end of the book it's I decided peace was a bit of a nicer story, so I just yeah. changed the word. Yeah, the yeah. but the orangutan bit wasn't part of that. Oh, okay. <laughs> cool. yeah. so, the orangutan is a different version, which yeah. you need some more context for. Great, cool. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the history monks—they're um, basically the what? They're basically Nepal, but actually magical. <laughs> I assume the monks in Nepal aren't really magical. I don't know. Well, really. you know. Who knows? Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. Yeah. <laughs> um, Batman. In this school, they certainly are. Yeah. And they go around. Um, they basically treat um, history like a bonsai tree and are trimming mm. it. But what they what they were actually meant to do was to let brother die a martyr and then there'd be 100 years of war. But they decided not to because... This world is as horrible as it can be. Is ultimately a nice place, yeah. looked over by the benevolent hand of Terry Pratchett, mm, yeah. where idealistic things like that can happen. Mm. <laughs> all right. Uh, cool. uh, any? I think we're all good. Is there anything else for anyone? Uh, one of the things I realized is like, I love the kind of plotline where we have two people who are very different, and then they go on a yeah. 
um, adventure together. And a buddy they, cop. Yeah, a buddy cop kind of thing, and they learn from each other, and they it was and they learn from each other, and they change their opinions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, but this and this um, instance of it with brother and Om, it felt like sort of a subgenre of that kind of thing where you have these particular archetypes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I feel like I've seen this kind of exact kind of plot line before. And then I realized it was Emperor's New Groove. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, this is Emperor's New Groove. Yeah. Emperor's New Groove. Yeah. Yeah. Just... I just realized that last night. Um, it's exactly the Emperor's New Groove, only you replace mm. the Emperor with a god. Well, uh, Emperor is a god on Earth. Yeah. 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 It's Emperor's. It's. It's. I should have just said that. It's 1984. Meets Emperor's. New, it's more Emperor's New Groove than 1984. It still is very 1984. I noticed several points in this story which were had almost exact kind of mirrors in 1984. Like even the part where the torture chamber is bright. That's the same as in 1984. And they have the sort whole kind of ideas of two times the truth. And the yeah. the mantra, of, yeah, the double speak, yeah, the yeah. and the ma- and like the the rebels' mantra of like the turtle mo- moves versus two plus two equals four. Mm. Yeah, it's... cool. Yeah, cool. So, that was small gods. That was small gods. And next week it is my turn, Ooh. and so we are doing uh, we're super going monkey to, ball. We're going to PS One days. Woo! And we're going to do, do our first video game. Jurassic Park Warpath. Jurassic Park Warpath. I've played that. Great game. It's great. It's a fantastic game. Um, but Atlantis The Lost Empire on PS1. Yu-Gi-Oh! Lost Memories. Heart of the no, Duelist. I'm a Duelist of the Roses guy. I never played it. Have to? Um, I, I, oh, I wanted to. We need to play that then. Um, but, uh, <laughs> what are we playing? So we are playing Ape Escape. Ooh. One of my old classic childhood favorites, which will be good. Um, first video game. We'll see how we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, email us hyperfixationpod at gmail.com. That is hyperfixationpod at gmail.com. Hyperfixationpod at gmail.com. Um, and with all that, so yeah, give us a like, a subscribe, a rating, a review. Free Send reels. us flowers, whatever yeah. you really want. Kiss um, me on the cheek. Kiss, yeah, give us a kiss. If you have any estrogen, it would be nice. G- give, um, give, so- us, uh, when, give us a knowing wink and a nod from a Parisian cafe. And then yes. walk into a into a crowd, uh, however you like. Just I demand you... blood sacrifices. Well, we'll see well, how we that's go. fine. If there's any well endowed women listeners who want to donate their breasts to myself, that would be much appreciated. Yeah. we'll go from uh, uh, any other female body parts that we can cobble together to turn me into some kind of Frankenstein Frankenstein esque woman, <laughs> which is really my ideal. Um, we'll go from that. <laughs> I'm missing the Frankenstein at the moment. It does not go well. All right. Does he have banging tits? Mm. people don't (laughs) (laughs) probably not people do not react well to him no because he didn't have banging tits yeah alright we're done with this I think bye end of podcast bye Bye. did he have banging tits I don't think so no